Hey, Culture Hackers, it's Robbie Richman here, and I'm really excited about this one because we are going to be talking about the culture of procrastination, and who doesn't deal with procrastination? I mean, it's everybody, I think, and we're going to take it apart from a hacking perspective of how we can hack procrastination. Um, we're here with Shirley Aylor Asif. She's born and raised in Israel, licensed clinical psychologist specializing in addiction, procrastination, and relationships. What a magic combination. Though. Following her doctoral research of academic procrastination at CSPP in Los Angeles, she was a postdoctoral fellow at TTC Tarzana, a psychiatric hospital specializing in substance abuse treatment. And now she's currently in Studio City at her clinic, and she provides psychotherapy to individuals, couples, and groups. And she also gives talks and workshops and writes about this. And that's actually how I found about her through Daniel Hausman, and the Be Not Talks. Mm -hmm. So um, it's fantastic. If, if, uh, if, if anything goes wrong with this, I'm going to totally slander Daniel. <laughs> so you're off the hook. It's all on Hausman. That's a deal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the Culture Hackers Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So how did you get into all this? How did I get into all that? Okay, well, this is uh, kind of self-revealing. But really? usually when you Good. do a research, it's about something uh, that is of interest, that is close to you. Uh, and uh, for me, procrastination, academic procrastination, was something that I have known uh, firsthand experience for many years. Um, always dealt with it uh, until I got to my uh, doctorate um, writing. And... As a procrastinator, you usually are very uh, good at cramming in the last minute, making it, uh, reaching the deadline, just, you know, barely, but doing it. But when you have a big, big project, you yeah. can't just what, cram. Right. What, what do you tend to do when you procrastinate? Like, I, oh. I, I clean everything. Like, because I feel like that's not bad. Like, I'm actually doing something productive, but I can't stop cleaning when I don't want to do something. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's classic. That's actually, there's a pattern when you procrastinate really yes and there's a cycle it's kind of entertaining unless you are the one who's procrastinating but it always starts when you have the project you're always very optimistic and you say okay this time it's going to be great this time i'm going to do it right at <laughs> time i'm going to be organized i'm going to have my schedules it looks very bright and great yeah and then you know the time passes and you didn't do anything and then we come to the next stage where you're a little bit less optimistic and the ideal date to start passed already and you didn't do anything and now it starts to feel you start to feel the doubt that oh maybe it's going to be like the, just like the rest of the times maybe I'm not going to make it at time on time this time but still, you are not able to motivate yourself to actually come from the realm of ideas to the realm of action. Yeah. And then we come to the next phase. And the next phase is exactly what you talked about, is that we start doing everything else. And the reason that we do that, there's a reason for that, is first of all, it takes off some pressure because you really want to do something. Yeah. You just don't want to do the thing that you need to do because yeah. it's too scary, because there's so many things around. It's like a hot potato. You don't want to touch it. You just, you know, go around it. So you start doing many things and you find your closet and you start going hiking and you even study for something else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything and any, everything suddenly looks very important and urgent and you need to clean your desk <laughs> right now. Right. And it relieves some of the pressure. Yeah. 
And this is interesting also because many people from the side, the people who live with a procrastinator or work with a procrastinator, it seems like the procrastinator is aloof. They do nothing and they don't care. But there's a lot going on inside because inside a lot of very, very negative feelings are coming, feelings of shame and doubt and anger and frustration, feeling that I'm trapped, despair. How can I not break this you know, cycle? And uh, part of it also is the hiding because... When it, when I feel ashamed that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do and people are counting on me and thinking that I'm doing it and we're sometimes very good at creating the illusion that we're actually making some progress yeah. when, in fact, we're not. So then we start hiding. So we won't answer the text of the other people asking, hey, what's going on? And if we know that we're going to go to a certain place and we'll meet the people that may ask us, so we're going to avoid that place. And it's like a, a cycle almost of isolation because I, not, I cannot tell anyone that I'm not really doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm too busy in keeping the facade that something actually happens, that the progress happens. Wow. Yes. And then we move to another stage, which is we're almost there and we still didn't do anything. And it's very scary. And now a lot of feelings of maybe the problem is in me. Maybe something core, basic trait that I missed that so many other people have. Maybe I lack uh, the uh, reliability or the confidence or the intelligence or the uh, whatever it is that other people have may seem to have and they can do it and I cannot. So now we shift from the problem is the project to the problem is in me. I'm faulted. I'm damaged in some way. And this mm. is very painful because every time we go through this cycle, it shifts a little bit more from our self-esteem and the way we perceive ourselves. Yeah. And then finally we get to the, you know, really like the, the almost a deadline and here we either have to do it or to run away and oftentimes people will start doing it so the last you know night before the test or all the project they will start cramming and doing and oftentimes they will discover that it's not so bad right. and then they tell themselves why did I wait so long why did I kill myself with the fear and the anxiety and all these things I could have done it so much earlier it's not that bad um and sometimes we flip and we say, no, we're not going to do it. And then we have, in both cases, we have a huge relief. Even though if I chose to do it, now my standards are much lower because I cannot aim to do this perfect project. Now mm. I barely want to deliver it, <laughs> you know, very like bone and skin. Right. Um, afterwards, it's a relief. And then the promise, I will never do it again. <laughs> the next time is going to be different. Yeah. And this is a cycle. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it, at the core of it, is it always fear? Um, it's fear. I mean, at the core of many things that we do as human beings, it's <laughs> right. fear. Because fear is our best friend. It, it mm. keeps us alive in so, so many levels. But uh, I would say... Well, here's the thing. In the past, something interesting about procrastination. Uh, procrastination was never was, wasn't really researched until the last twenty or twenty five years. And we have um, we can see like in the Bible, in old, uh, in in Buddhist scripts, in Egyptian scripts. There's reference for procrastination, which tells us that procrastination is a very, very ancient phenomena. It has been with us for a long, long time. So the question, question is coming, why wasn't it researched for such a long time if, if humans de dealt with it all the time? And the reason was that before like uh, the quarter of a century, um, people thought that procrastination is due to being lazy. 
being irresponsible, being uh, uh, unreliable, maybe stupidity, lack of intelligence. I cannot plan ahead. So there was a moral judgment on it. The person who does that lacks this and this and this. This is the reason they do it. Nothing to research. Yeah. And after 20 or 25 years, when we started uh, doing the research and gathered the data, we actually realized that the, the, the reasons for procrastination are actually very, very different. It's not being lazy and hedonist and impulsive and not caring. It's actually being, it's correlated with being a perfectionist. It's correlated with anxiety and fear of change. It is heavily, heavily correlated with uh, uh, learning uh, disabilities, uh, problems with organizational skills, you know, frontal lobe, Mm. yeah, Um, prefrontal lobe, I should say, and uh, fear of change. So it is very different. It's a very different picture. You'll see it also with ADD, impulsivity. People have difficulties to concentrate and focus. You will see procrastination there. Yeah. So now when we know it, it's a little bit different. Now we can treat it. So with that cycle you mentioned, fascinating cycle, um, do you, that point where you said, oh, why was I delaying this so long? Mm-hmm. Like I could have just done is it? Can this be hacked just by doing it? Okay. <laughs> this is a million-dollar question. You know, when I lecture people, oftentimes I will have someone who will just say, you know, you just need to do it. <laughs> just do it. And I'm kidding. But this is the core. This is the basic, basic core of problem for a procrastinator. They cannot just do it. They really, really want to do it. They really want it to be that simple, but they just cannot. And all the fuss is around that and all the anxiety. Well, I I don't know. I guess I take issue with that word. Mm -hmm. I mean, that I I, I went to, I saw this this Israeli um, uh, homeopath who used Mm -hmm. to be a soldier and he was telling this story about like they were in, in a war situation and one of the guys had asthma and got asthma attacks mm-hmm. and they were in a position where like a noise would give away their position and it was literally like their lives at stake so he he, he pulled out his gun put it to the guy's head and said if you have an attack like one more right now you will give away your position and like clicked it and just said you have you like you have one more and you are gone and the guy did not have an attack <laughs> you know and so oh, what do you say you say that they can't like you're telling me they had a gun to their head, like they're saying, I'm sorry, my limbs just don't work. I literally cannot do this. <laughs> okay. So, well, the poor poor guy, I, I feel for that guy in, 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 <laughs> in the example that you gave. Uh, it can be pretty traumatic. Uh, yes, if you will push it to the extreme, then definitely people will do things. So they can they, do it. Of course, of course. They, they are able, they are capable of doing it. If this is a question, yes, definitely. The question is the problem in procrastination. You know, the key is motivation. How do I make myself do things that I want to do? Because we're not even talking about things that we are forced to do right. or coerced to do. <laughs> These are things that we chose. These are things that we said, hey, I want to do that. And yeah. yet it is so hard to do it. So the reason is oh, most of the research is actually on the motivation. Oftentimes you will see research about motivation. A lot of research in economy, by the way about procrastination, basically about how people procrastinate dealing with their fu- securing their future, their financial mm. future, because this is so prevalent. Everybody, yeah. many people are doing that. The problem is the motivation. What happens with this person and with that task 
that we are unable to motivate ourselves. And motivation research shows you several things. First of all, the, most str- the strongest motivation, the one that you can really rely on, is internal. Meaning, if I feel that I do it for myself, if I feel that I chose it, if I feel that I can do it the way I want, odds are that I will procrastinate less about it. If I feel that I'm doing it for someone else, if I feel like I'm being forced to do it, or not very bluntly, but maybe, you know, subtly by someone, I will procrastinate. Now, another thing is that before we talk about procrastination motivation, we actually have to think about how that person, how that individual perceives himself in the world. How does they perceive the, the world in general? So we're talking about a mindset. And with the procrastinator's mindset, you oftentimes see like several distortions. One of them or maybe several of them. And one of them, uh, the one I think that I hear the most is... Uh, it has to be perfect. Yes. If it's not perfect, it's not worth not doing worth at all. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes we heard it from important people in our lives. Oh, I've been feeling that. <laughs> I've been feeling it. Yeah. So the perfect. And perfect is a, is a word that I really hate. I mean, every time I hear perfect, I would say cross it out and just replace it with the best I'm, I can. Because the best I can is something feasible. It's something that I can actually do. Perfect, however, it's oftentimes very, it's not even economic. And I will explain. Uh, you, we have the Pareto rule yeah. uh, principle, if you're familiar. 80, actually, 20. Yes, ac- exactly. Actually comes from uh, economy. But if we apply it for behavior, roughly um, an average task, it will take me 20% of the time to um, fulfill 80% of the task. In most of the things that we do. In order to perfect the task, to make it perfect, wonderful, beautiful, flawless, I have to invest for that extra 20% that I have, I have to invest 80% of the time. So this is something very, uh, it's not economic. Now, there's a lot of waste in it because... How often do we need a task to be perfect? Now, of course, if I'm going to a brain surgery and the surgeon said, you know what, I'm going to apply the Pareto rule. I'm going to do 80, 20 hours and I want you to do a perfect job. This is a life and death. But here's the thing. How often do we do things that are life and death? Why can't we just provide a better version right. and later on, uh, you know, add to it, change it? Well, it's it's an interesting point from the perspective of um, um, I that, that 80, getting that... Because there's this quote, I think it's this Chinese proverb that says the the person who has gone halfway, no, the person who has gone 90% is halfway there. (laughs) And I found that with writing my book, I was like, oh my God, I got the 90% of it done. And the last 10% took that much effort. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, um, you know, if part of the problem is like that brain surgeon is, is not taking on five different jobs. You know, they've got assistance for things. They've got, they, 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 they really focus well. And one of the things I love about the Steve Jobs story is when he came back to Apple, he saw they were doing a million different products. They were, they were crappy. He just canceled them all and said, we're doing four. We're doing pro level, consumer level, laptop, desktop, four. And that's it. And they rocked it, you know, and they made it solid. So it's part of the procrastination problem. Do you think that, that we don't limit ourselves to really 
putting effort and care into a few things. And instead, in this day and age, we can take on so many. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I've got my speeches. I've got my podcast. I've got my blog. I've got the workshops I do. I've got a membership site that, that I'm, I'm working on. I've got you know mastermind groups I want to do, et cetera. And so part of me thinks, is that part of, of the problem that I'm not reducing them such that I could have the chance to really do something not perfect, but let's say excellent? Okay, so yes, of course, I mean, and this taps to another thing. It taps to the uh, limit, the fantasy that we have no limits. I mean, oftentimes you will see with procrastinators the feeling that I'm just going to take this project, I'm not going to do anything until I finish it. And then we go to reality and we can't because, you know, we get tired, we, our motivation dies, uh, we have previous engagements, we have different roles in our life. There's so many things, there's life in the middle that we have to deal with. So... Once again, if it's something very, very important, if it's a life and death, we want to aim for perfect. But if, like you, I'm trying to do many things, I'm trying to be versatile, I'm trying to, to you know, conquer different uh, corners at the same time, is it feasible for you to do everything perfect or excellent? I mean, it's going to come on the expense of something else. Yeah. And is this a price that you're willing to pay? Now, if it's something very, if I have to save someone, I always will go to that to, to make it extreme, to show you that the effort, the level of effort sometimes is not worth it. If it, Sometimes the quantity, and I know people hate to hear that, but quantity is important. I mean, we need to be able to get through this and this and this and this mm-hmm. throughout our day, throughout the year, throughout whatever. If I'm going to do one thing perfect and all the rest will be neglected, then is it worth it for me? And this is something that, you know, that anyone does the, their calculation. So do you do that with people? Do you actually like have them think about and write out all the things they're doing and have oh, them think about reducing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a very nice uh, tool that we call the unschedule. And the unschedule is actually, uh, you take a, a calendar, you take a schedule, an empty one, and you just fill inside all the things that you know that you're doing every day. The times that you eat and the times that you commute and the times that you work and the times that you sit on your blog and the TV show that you want to see and the time that you're on Facebook and every little thing that you do, you put inside there. And then once you filled it for a whole week, you look at it and it's going to give you a reflection of the week ahead of you, how it's going to look like. And oftentimes when you do it with a, with a person, they get it's an eye-opener. Sometimes a person says, wow, I have all this... Not a lot of people. I have all this free time. I have all this dead time. Many people say, wow, I can't believe that I do all these things. Some people will say, wow, I never have alone time. I'm always with people in a social situation. Another person will say, oh, my goodness, I hardly see people. I'm always mm-hmm. doing these things. So first of all, you get to see what you do. Yeah. After that, you get to see when is your free time. And I'm talking about a project. If there's something that I want to do. Because what we usually procrastinate is the things that are not urgent. Is the things for the future. Is the important things that we need to do that are not, you know, we have to do them right now. So it's very easy to push and say, oh, I want to do it now. Next week, I'm going to do it when I have time. We'll never have time. It will never change. We have to curve the time. We have to actively create the time for it. And I can give you an example for myself. When I had to do my doctorate, I said, okay, I'm going to sit every morning for uh, six hours and I'm going to do it. And then I look at my schedule. And after I looked really, really carefully, I realized that I have barely two hours in the morning to do it with all my jobs and all the other things that I had to do. And that was an eye-opener because... Now I could plan. 
And do you think, you know, there's that old adage that says, if you want something done, give it to the busy person, (laughs) you know? And it makes me wonder if it's like, if, um, if being busy helps for that, do you think it like, is it that case where like busy people are just more efficient? Mm, Yes. I think I know what you're referring to. I think it's the time that we say we clear everything in order for us to be able to do something. And then we find ourselves mean day still not getting there it it keeps (laughs) happening for me it really does i've got a lot of free time in this kind of role and yeah exactly and then the times that you're very busy and you have to squeeze something inside then you find yourself very efficient because you know exactly that you have this amount of time and you have to it has to be done by that so yes definitely being busy helps you because it gives you a structure it makes you actually look down in the nitty-gritty and say okay how much time do i really have what do i have to do in this time deadline is your best friend without a deadline we will do nothing oh yeah (laughs) you know the only way i got the book done was i said i was going to announce the book at a conference and i needed the book done by then and one of the editors i was working with she was like it's not ready this this and that i'm like it doesn't matter we are shipping and that's what got it done (laughs) that's a wonderful example you did two things actually you did the uh um you also added the commitment it wasn't only a deadline. You also committed. You had yeah. to announce it. Once you announced it, no, there's no way back. Yeah. The, and the, 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 the first time I did this was with a small book called Create Your New Career that I give to people who, who want to um, create their jobs for themselves. And I worked on this with a coach, and he, he really applied the leverage for this one. We're sitting down. He's like, so you want to write a book? I'm like, yeah. He's like, like what's that date that we can do it by that like, is, is going to be comfortable but aggressive? And I'm like, a month. And he said, okay, what will be done within a month? And I said, okay, I want the book, the website up, and like an email opt-in. And he said, okay, great. And now, and then he said, tell me an organization you hate. And I'm like, an organization I hate? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. And he starts Googling his online. He's like, he finds this like like supremacist, white supremacist um, group that just looked, you know, not the kind of person I'd support. <laughs> and he's like, okay write me a check to this group and like we we got their name and everything and i wrote i think it was three hundred dollars he's i wrote a check for three hundred dollars to this group and he said i'm gonna hold on to this check and if it's not done within a month i'm sending this check (laughs) and i was like hold i got that thing done five days early five days early That's very nice. That's that's very Pavlovian. Right. <laughs> yes. It works. It works. <laughs> yes. He gave you a very, very unpleasant uh, uh, stimuli and you had to respond. Yeah. To avert it. Definitely. Yes. Yes. So this is al- also another way, but <laughs> but it's fine. You know what? I like that. It's, it's creative. I don't know if this is something to apply in therapy, but I don't argue with success. <laughs> 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 and obviously it was successful. Right. But, you know, w- w- when we talk about procrastination, it's not only the perfectionism and everything. It's uh, and the limit and the time. I mean, you can give a procrastinator all the skills of time management and, and uh, organization and everything, and they will still procrastinate. Yeah. Because this is one part of it. And it's actually the, the less important part, if you ask me, because this is something, something that anyone can go and, and, and learn somewhere. The important thing is to shift your mind and, and to move from a, a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Mm, interesting. And, yes. And what do I mean by that? A fixed mind. And I, okay, I have to quote a research on yeah. that. <laughs> and this is a very familiar, a very famous uh, research by Carol Dweck. And she, and she did her research on uh, fifth graders. And she took children 
and um, each child got a very easy puzzle to, to, to make, to solve. And they were divided into two groups. One group, when the kids finished the puzzle successfully, were told, wow, you're so smart. Look how smart you are, you did it. Uh, and this is a fixed uh, uh, compliment or trait. The other uh, group, every time a kid finished a puzzle, an easy puzzle successfully, they would say, wow, look at the job that you did. You made so much effort. You worked until you solved it, which is something different. Here we praise being intelligent, being smart, or you can add like being pretty, something that we have no idea how we became this way, and we have no control over, and we were probably were born with this. And especially for children, they don't know how to become uh, less pretty or more pretty or less smart or more right. smart. And the other group was praised for the process, for the learning, for the effort, which is actually detached from the, uh, from the end result. Mm. The next stage was to give the children a much harder puzzle. After they solved it, what, once again, uh, one, uh, one group was praised for being smart, intelligent. The other group was praised for the work that they did. At the end of the experience, he gave them, uh, he, the kids were presented with a choice to continue with the easy puzzles or to continue with the harder puzzles. Now, guess what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the kids in the uh, fixed uh, mindset group, we'll call them the, intel- the smart ones, yeah. they will pick the easy one. They will avoid the challenge. The children, however, who were praised for the effort, they always choose to go with the harder uh, puzzle. With the, they, they embraced the challenge. And this is exactly the difference between, and th- these are the terms that she actually uh, coined, the uh, uh, fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Mm. How, what a different perception on life, yeah. on, on challenge, on, on ourselves. Here, we, we take the process and we pull it up. And we say, it doesn't important if you succeeded or not. It's not important if you su- succeeded or not. It's important the way. Because this time you may have failed, the next time you will succeed. This is something that if the culture embraces, it affects all the parts in it. The other part, the other uh, group, they, once you get this uh, fixed mindset and you get a, a crown of being intelligent, smart, whatever it is, now there's something for me to lose. Once an adult told me that I'm smart, I may fail somewhere and then they will take away the crown from me. I, can, I, I don't know how to become smarter. I don't know what I did to be smart. So I have no control over it. So you can see how anxiety-provoking it is because now I have something that I really ho- have to hold in tight to, mm. and I can always lose it because if I fail, then they take it away. So this is process, and this is based on uh, accomplishments. Wow. Yeah. And so how um, how... Is there a way that you make that active for, for people? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, we all learn these things somewhere. <laughs> and mm. that somewhere is usually home. I right. mean, home is the first, you know. The, well, I just wanted to say on that that, that it, it, there's this interesting idea that um, – have you heard of nonviolent communication? A little bit. It's interesting. They, they have this idea that that any judgment – is not constructive. So when I say you are brilliant, that's still a judgment. Mm-hmm. And they said that the truth is I don't know, like I, I, I'm not in a position to judge you, but I am in a position to say how I feel and how things affect me. Mm-hmm. So I can say, wow, Shirley, when you talked about that process, I felt really lit up because I could see how much that helps me. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. 
as opposed to just putting a judgment on you, whether it be good or bad. Because if we're going to go for brilliant, if, if you're a brilliant person, then another person's a stupid person. And then all of it is essentially violent. Exactly. And also now I have something to lose. Maybe I will say a very stupid thing the next, <laughs> the oh, next minute and I'm not going to be yeah. that brilliant right. anymore. Right. Definitely, yes. Judgment is a burden. Judgment is a burden. Even if it's positive or negative, it's yeah, a burden. Totally. You want to stick to, you know, uh, other things. So, you know, when you look at the mindset in a culture, you want to promote the growth. You want to put the emphasis and the focus and the spotlight on the process, regardless of, the, of what it yields. It, we may have nothing. We may have a failure. We may have something that is okay. But we want to promote the process because the process will lead to challenge embracing, lead to innovation, will lead to risk-taking, lead to finding new ways to do same old things. I love that. And I'm curious um, how much principles apply to this because what i'm doing on on two two podcasts ago i talked about um or one podcast ago about uh anti-marketing what i call it which is all about how the the strongest companies that i've seen out there start intentionally small like tesla like facebook you couldn't get them for years even though you heard about them which is different from the hey everybody buy my stuff right <laughs> and so i've been working on these um i've got this right in front of me because i've got a client for for this um product marketing principles. So one is steady, intentional growth outlasting explosions. Another is experience and feeling drive success. Or the first 90 days wins a customer for, for life. And so these things um, result in a totally different approach as opposed to the results mm -hmm. and uh, or result focus rather. So um, the way that I talk about this and teach this, I, I haven't used the word process, but I've used the word principles because if we align with those principles, um, the, the experience becomes very authentic and worth it. So have you, have you, is that something you use as well or am I doing semantics when it comes to this? Um, yes, I think it's very, it taps exactly on the same idea. Okay. I mean, you can call it process, you can call it uh, principles, you can call it many things, but, but the idea is the same, basically. We want to look at the way. It, I think mm, it's also yes. a very nice uh, way to, to treat people and to treat ourselves. If we look at, I don't know, I'll give you an example of a child who starts walking. I mean, and they do their first steps and they, the mother will say, oh, you just fell or it was wobbly or you didn't do it so great. What are the odds that the child will try again? If he even understands what he told me. <laughs> right. But then with children, and this is something that I really like because oftentimes we do things with children that I wish that we've done with ourselves. And... Um, the way we talk to children, and I talk about small children, and the way we talk to ourselves, our inner voice, it sometimes can be so harsh and so punitive. Yeah. Sometimes we talk to ourselves in a way that we won't allow anyone to talk to us, <laughs> but we do it. And I will tell, oftentimes I will tell uh, uh, my clients, you know, take a picture of yourself when you were a kid, a very young kid tender age, put it in a place you can see. And every time you have this harsh, you know, uh, internal voice coming up, look at the child and talk, give that uh, uh, narrative the way you will talk to a child with empathy and with softness. And you can still convey the same message. I mean, process is important and we have to give space 
for the process to happen and we have to have patience and we have to let things you know take time and we have to allow space for trial and error if we have this rigid there's only one way it has to lead for success and this is by the way another reason for procrastination the belief that there's only one truth and I'm going to wait until I find it mm-hmm. there's only one way to succeed and I'm going to have to mm-hmm. find it and do it I mean how boring <laughs> wow so that's like a false belief only one way are there other false beliefs there um well, this is one of them, and the limit, uh, uh, the fantasy of being uh, having infinite resources, which uh, we can't have. But let me go back for a minute mm-hmm. with the uh, um, one way of success. I mean, I'm thinking again, when, when we were children and we see our home and we see our parents, and say, okay, this is the way to live, and this is great, and this is the best thing. And then we go out and grow up a little bit, and we go to our friends, and we get to see other ways of living. And then when we open our eyes and we're old enough to understand, say, hey, oh my goodness, this is another way and it may be even better. There's other ways to do the same thing. And same applies for cultures and for organizations. We grow up and say, okay, this is the way to succeed. This is the way to handle a successful organization. Well, in fact, there are so many other ways. There's so many models that can work. We have to, first of all, open, you know, these covers, like the horses have these covers to open them to see all the ways which also brings back the joy and the fun because now we can be creative. Now we can be flexible. Now I can try one route and maybe come back because I don't like it or I can go with this one. This is so nice. I'm going to do it again. Or maybe I'm going to make a shortcut to the other way so I can do so many things and enjoy it. Huh. At the same time, which is very, very important because fun is a sacred word. And since you said, yeah, since, <laughs> since you said it's a pattern that we go through, is there, do you have certain tools for pattern interrupts that would, that would hack this? Okay, yes. So when we talk about patterns, um, I think the root is, uh, um, I would say the root is thought, word, action, meaning it starts with a thought, the things that I'm thinking, the, 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 narrative that I have about the world, about myself, about what I need to do or shouldn't do. Then it goes towards the way I talk. Like oftentimes with a perfectionist, you will hear a lot of I should, (laughs) I need to. They never, I want to. You don't hear a lot of I want to. I I hear I should do it. I need to do it. I got to do that. So when you hear the terminology, and oftentimes it sounds like, oh, this is very petty. You look at the word. The word really reflects the way I think, my whole uh, set of values. I can see that. Now, from the thought, we move to the word, and from the word, we will move to an action. Because the things I say, there's uh, many chances that this is the things that I will do eventually. I mean, it starts with a plan somewhere. So the way to change patterns is to change first the thought, the mindset. When I start thinking differently, I may be still doing the same things that I'm doing, the same, you know, dysfunctional behaviors. But now I think differently. Now when I go through that automatic um, uh, uh, habit of, I don't know, whenever I need to do something to go and open my Facebook account and start looking at my feed, I may have another thought telling me, maybe I should do it in 10 minutes. Maybe I can start in 10 minutes, dedicate 10 minutes now to the project. Only 10 minutes, not more than that, just 10 minutes because it's anxiety provoking, because I want to do it, because it feels so bad and all the things. Now I just have the thought and this will be one tool that we'll say. We'll say, uh, I will say, take a big project, cut it to many small uh, steps and make the first step five minutes only. 
It has to be something easy and something short and something quick. We want to have a quick success that we can put under our belt. So now I have the thought. So I may be not do, be doing that, but I have it there. So what happens is the automatic process, which is the pattern, is being disrupted. Now there's something else. I may be not doing it yet, but I'm thinking about it. Later on, I will be talking about it as you did with the commitment, with the announcement, mm-hmm. which was, I think, brilliant. And the next, the final step will be to actually do it, to say, oh, I'm going to do this first. But it starts in the head. Very important. It starts with the way we, th- we are thinking. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's awesome. And so, <laughs> huh. And do you think like when, um, when people try to medicate this type of thing, mm. in, in, like this is, is that sometimes I wonder if that, and I'm speaking from experience with this too. I mean, whether it be chocolate or when I've used uh, ADD medication, this kind of things, um, like sometimes it works really well and other times it makes me just feel much better than I'm procrastinating. <laughs> like I just, I still procrastinate, but I just don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> and that's one step nicer than beating myself up for all the procrastination. It's true. It's true. And by the way, addiction, addiction and procrastination go hand Do they? Oh my goodness. Yes. Really? Much, What's that yes. connection? Well, it's, it's, First of all, it's procrastinating the uh, dealing with the addiction. I will do it later. I can do it at any time. It's not a problem. I, you know, oh, that yes. language is the same. Like yes, I can quit any time. Exactly, exactly. Um, and addiction and procrastination, both of them uh, produce a lot of guilt and shame. A mm. lot. Addiction and guilt and shame are very best friends. They feed each other. So there's some similarities with this. Um, but going back to your question, uh, well, now in the days that everybody wants a pill, if someone will uh, find a, a cure or medication for procrastination, there will be millionaires, billionaires. I mean, <laughs> so many people are affected, and the economy also affected a lot from people being procrastinated. Yeah. I mean, just think about you know what people produce and what they could have produced if they never procrastinated. If you could cancel the ping of the email or the WhatsApp or, or the Facebook. Um, but the truth is that medication oftentimes deals with symptoms. And uh, let's talk a little bit neurobiology in that. When we create change, first of all, we hate change. Our mind and our bodies hate change. They will always do anything, everything they can to maintain what they have, even if it's not so great, but they will, do, will try to make the, 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 the balance, the, the homeostasis, if you'd like. Change is something that we don't like doing. Change uh, is very... Um, expensive to the body and to the mind. We have to uh, use a lot of effort. Now, let's take an example. If here, there's a, it was a lawn here, and I will go every day from here, from where I'm sitting now to your spot, and I will walk there every day. And eventually, after an amount of time, I will create a path. This is exactly what happens in your brain when you do something again, again, again. This is the way we create habit. Only instead of the path in the lawn, we have neurological connections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every time I walk that path, I strengthen them and make them denser. And I add some more neurons. It becomes very, very strong. And this is the habit that we talk about. This is the automatic habit, if you like. Now, one day I may change my mind and say, you know what? I'm going to walk from here to the other direction. So every time I'm going to walk there, I'm going to create a different path. This is the change of behavior. What's more important that every day that I walk in the second path, it's another day that I'm not walking in this 
in the, in the original path. Mm-hmm. So what will happen eventually, that weeds will grow and the path will almost disappear. It never disappears. Our brain never forgets anything. Mm. I don't know if it's good or bad, but we don't forget. Maybe we don't have access to right. it, but we never forget anything. But the thing is that we can almost extend something and we can create a new change. Now, medications won't do that. Medications will deal with symptoms. In order to have a change, you have to do you have to do either therapy or, or, or coaching or workshop. You have to change something in the thinking, in the behavior. And the more you will do it, the stronger it will get. I think I know people that medication did wonder for them. I mean, I'm, I will not preach against medication. But I, I think in most cases, and not the extreme levels, I don't think it should be the first line of, of, of therapy. There's so many other things that you can do. You may take medication in the beginning in order to have a clear table right. and start doing the change. But there's no, um, there's no way around hard work. Hard work is our best friend. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it comes with behavior change. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm I'm sure you've seen the the recent studies on addiction that are showing how much it's a it's a social based disease. Have you seen some of those articles? Um, depends. Depends. Oh, yes, I have seen. Um, depends on the drug oh, yeah. or not only drug. I mean, sex is an addiction. Work is an addiction. Gambling mm. is an addiction. There's, there's many ways. Right. Good point. We, we can do that, but. Um, Okay, go on with that. <laughs> oh no, I just I, I I found it interesting. They were talking about the one with the rats, where they they gave the rats cocaine, and they found that the ones um, um, when they were just alone with it, they really really wanted it and got addicted to it. But when they were put in a situation where they had a lot of other rats and toys and everything going on there, mm-hmm. they actually lost interest in the cocaine. Um, and so they're saying it's 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 not just about the substance; it's not a chemical issue entirely. It's actually got a very strong um, emotional social component to it. Oh, definitely. Um, first of all, I'm very happy for the rats. <laughs> very happy. <laughs> That's great. Um, yes, of course. I mean, it's the substance. Here's the thing with addiction, and we're going a little bit a different word, but mm-hmm. um, addiction is the second. Problem number two, you'll call it. There's always problem number one. Uh-huh. Problem number one is my untreated depression, my uh, uh, failing marriage, a loss, Trauma, you name it, something bad, something that I don't want to handle, something that when I'm sober is there and feels so bad that I have to take something to alleviate it because it feels like it will never go away. It feels like I have no control over it. This is problem number one. Problem number two is the substance that takes it away or the gambling or the sex or the work or the vodka or the cocaine, whatever it is. But if you treat only only problem number two and you never treated problem number one, nothing will happen. It's you know it's exactly with culture hacking. When I did uh, um, when I was working with people in detox, they would say, "Okay, I'm free now. You know, I'm clean. I don't have the cravings anymore. I did it. I'm going to go home and everything's going to be great." Well, nothing's going to be great because all your problems are just waiting for you. Your annoying family and the, the, your, your, the job that you hate and, and your financial issues. Everything is just waiting for you to come back. If you don't have a new set of tools, if you don't have ways to, to deal with it, you yeah. will go back right to where you started from because this is the way you protect yourself. So you cannot take a person and leave them bare and take away the addiction because the addiction, the, the, the drug or whatever they're using, it's their best friend. It's their crotch. It's the, the, the 
thing that helps them uh, uh, survive in the world. You have to replace it. The same as culture hacking. You will replace a model with something that will make that model obsolete or irrelevant. You mm. will do something else. Yes. So same here. You cannot just take away something. You have to replace it. You have to replace it with something better. And if oh, that promotes your well-functioning. And if we'll go back to procrastination... Instead of counting on your motivation, and motivation is very flaky, one day we have it, one day we don't, totally. we cannot count on that. I can count, however, on habits. Habits is something efficient. Habits is something that happens automatically. Habits is something economical. I don't have to invest a lot of effort in habits because it's, it's a habit. This is something reliable. This is something that will take me where I want to go. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, what um Huh, just makes me think of certain habits I've done where like mm. I um like like for example for me um meditation is one. Right now I'm doing it anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes a day. Wow. And I I like it a lot and there there but there are times where I've done it where it's just it was so maddening that I stopped, that I felt like it felt like it was making things worse than better. And, you know, there were certain times where I had like, okay, I'm going to do 20 minutes of meditation, hour yoga, journaling, writing this, that, you know, and I had those all stacked on. And so, and then I just got so frustrated, you know, like, I'm like, just there's too many of these great habits. Like I'm, I don't feel like I'm living. And so I probably went to the extreme. Um, but it's interesting for me that I, I totally agree. And maybe, Maybe I, I didn't do things long enough to truly become a habit, but I've, I've done them for, you know, 30, 40 days and sometimes just thrown them out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. You know what? This is a space for trial and Experiment, error. Experiment, yeah. Ex- experimenting with that. But I got to tell you something, and it's about fun. And mm. fun is something very underestimated, I think, especially if you talk to the so-called high-functioning people and say, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this. Fun, like fun? I should do some fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. It's, and totally it's very saturated with guilt. Like, why yeah. should I do fun? Fun is for children. Well, fun is very important. Oftentimes we will do things, I think mostly we will do things that are fun for us. I mean, we will do our duties and stuff. We will survive them. But the things that we will really stick into are the things that make us feel good. They are fun in some way. They make, they, they feel some needed as it wants to be filled. Now, fun also is related to, to being in the present. And um, like meditation, or maybe more mindfulness, I would say. Mindfulness, oftentimes people think that mindfulness is de- detaching from everything. It's the exact opposite. Mindfulness is feeling everything mm. and just sitting there and letting everything flow around you and not reacting to it or trying to control it. This is mindfulness and it's extremely, extremely difficult. And I salute your 40 minutes of meditation <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not even close there. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. Um, but it is, fun is... Is basically being in, being in the present. Now, when you think about it, who's the best? Who are, is best in being in the present? Kids. Exactly. Kids are masters of being in the present. They don't care about what happened in the past. They don't care about consequences. They don't plan. They don't feel bad about things that they didn't do well. They live in the present. Yeah. They enjoy it. Yeah. They are fully present there in the present. This is the reason it's called present. For adults, we oftentimes either live in the past, regretting things that we didn't do or yearning things that passed already, or uh, planning for the future or dreading the future. Anxiety yeah. basically is worry, is 
fear and future. This is anxiety. It's worrying about something that is about to happen, that didn't happen, that may never happen. Yeah. This is the, the, the uh, uh, definition of it. But sometimes I would see people, adults, high-functioning ones, not necessarily the low-functioning, that they do nothing in the present, that, that nothing that is just for now, that has no... Uh, um, functioning later on mm-hmm. like I don't know playing basketball or connecting with someone and even if they do it they always think about something else or they check their phone, phones constantly or they do something else or their mind is occupied with something else and I think one of the best exercises is to have at least 20 minutes of the day that you do something that you're fully there and for you it may be the meditation for some people it's hiking some people just you know sitting you know, on the beach but something that you're there and it doesn't have to do anything with the past or the future. It's being right now and fully being there. Mm. Very, very important. What do you do? What do I do? Um, well, I play tennis. Oh, yeah? <laughs> play tennis, I run. <laughs> oh, I find tennis so stressful. It's like every moment there's a win or a loss. <laughs> and you, you don't have anybody to support. It's just you out there. Like to me, tennis was like this laboratory for self-hatred. <laughs> Well, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> I would say tennis also, you have to be present. <laughs> if you're not present, you won't last. You have to be there all the time. It's, yeah. it's really intense enough to take away, you know, all other thoughts and yeah. whatever it is that you had throughout your day. Have you read Andre Agassi's autobiography? No. It's fascinating. As a psychologist, I think you'd love it. I will definitely It's do. one of the best books I've ever read. Um, just as, as not only a sports biography, but a life biography. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Didn't he marry? He was first Brooke um, Shields. First Brooke Shields, then mm-hmm. they got divorced, and then now he's with Steffi Graf. Oh yeah, 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 Steffi Graf. Yeah, he tells the whole story of it all. It's really interesting. Oh, I'm so going to read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'd love it. <laughs> cool. Well, oh, we gotta get wrapped up here. Um, mm-hmm. So, what for for your practice? What is something that, um, w- like, what's a a, a telltale sign? that that somebody would recognize in their lives before they would come to you like what would you what would you say if if you're noticing this or this like hmm. um or if you're addicted to something yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you can't live without fill in the blank come to me um yeah and sometimes it's not can't live without but just doing something that you're sure that you're able to stop any minute but then when mm. you reflect on it you actually see that you invest much more time that you or resources that you want to admit than something like that um do a lot of couples therapy right now which i really like um with couples therapy oftentimes the problem is that the couple arrives to therapy when the relationship basically died already. And you keep telling yourself, hmm, if they only came here six months ago, maybe we could have saved that. Uh, but some of them also come on time, and there's a lot of things that you can do. And procrastination. Procrastination, of course, this has a lot of uh, internal and external costs. And many times people will not make the connection that their procrastination actually causes all the things in their life. When we think about a procrastinator, people think about these people who live these very chaotic lives with uh, uh, being uh, losing jobs and relationships and accidents. It's not necessarily so. Oftentimes you'll see it with very functioning people that they do well in most of aspects of their lives. But one aspect is 
chronically neglected, and that can be health or appearance or social uh, world or career or self-fulfillment. This is something that they never get to. They procrastinate on it, and for mm. that or this reason. Got so it. To so, make- cool. So, and I'm, I'm a big believer in that we're not only selective about who we choose, but we're also selective about our clients. Like, for example, for me, um, when, when, if people ask me to sell them on culture, I say, I, that's not really what I do. You know, I, I work with people who, who they want to have a deeper understanding of it, but they get that it's important because if you're going to get me to try to figure out how the bottom line is going to be connected to this, um, that's not going to be enough of a motivator for you to do it. So if, if you're only looking for ROI connection to culture and you don't really feel passionate about it for the sake of culture, I'm probably not a good fit. So do you have anything like that where you'd say, you know, this is a good kind of client that that we could have a good relationship with, and, and this is not the kind that, uh, <laughs> that I'm going to work with? Well, I think I will give you a universal uh, <laughs> answer that all therapists will give you. You want a people that want to change and are willing to work for change. How, how, <laughs> how, how, how can you tell? Like, or how would I be able to tell if I'm listening to this being like, because everybody probably thinks they are, or um, no, some people don't. No, no, sorry. I think when people come to therapy... Uh, you know, when I worked with addictions in uh, uh, the detox center, uh, people have to hit really rock bottom, really, really be in a bad shape in order for them to admit that they cannot do it by themselves and that they need help. If we talk about in my private practice, usually we'll see people who don't feel good and they want to feel better. It's something that they don't want to live with it anymore. I mean, I don't know if you know, sometimes you talk to a person, you meet someone, an acquaintance, and you talk about this and that. And after like three, four, five years, you meet that person. And when you talk, they talk about the same things. As if nothing happened. As if five years didn't <laughs> pass and they still are waddling in the same puddles. Mm. And this is my message to the world. If you don't want to you know, be in that same puddle and do the same thing and the stagnation, basically move on to something else. Even, you know, even shift your conflicts, solve something or, or move on from something to something else. That's growth. Yeah. That's movement. Yeah. And this is something that is therapy is very good at to, to if you feel like stuck and you cannot get out of it and you want to have a better quality of life. It's always good to do something. You can always change. Nice. Nice. And where will they find you? Uh, well, I'm in uh, Studio City. Well, then I can just drive around Studio City. No, you have a website, an email address. Something. My email address. Okay, my email address is uh, DR for Doctor, S for Shirley, Aylor Asif, E Y L O R A S I F. And I'm also on uh, Psychology Today or Good Therapy Directories. Easily be reached. Great. Great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, yeah, it is a pleasure to have <laughs> you on here, I think. And, and you know, I, I, I just want to say, too, that I'll, I'll sometimes get into this, this um, pattern of I'm dealing with something that's hard. I'll get support, and then I'll be like, I'm good, like for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> and then only later do I realize, wait a minute, I'm in a rut now. I need help. And, and I think it's, it's, it's good to have those outsourced, whether it be a therapist or a coach or a mentor or somebody who... Um, 
who who's there even when things are going well mm-hmm. um to so you, you i don't think you have to hit necessarily those ruts or deep ruts that's if true. we keep going with these that's kind of true though i like the the way you you said it i mean i like the independence of it i get it i'm moving on with myself i think good therapy is all about making you independent it's not that you're going to continue coming yeah, forever totally. take what we do in therapy and apply it in your life and own it mm-hmm. and you can come back when you hit another uh, challenge true as soon yes but definitely sending you off to do your thing <laughs> 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 all right culture hackers well i think this, this has been a fabulous podcast a lot of information there to uh to go do it and i would say if there's something you're procrastinating on right now do it just while you have the energy <laughs> while you're thinking about this don't find something else to procrastinate about just do this because you might find it only takes 20 minutes when you've been thinking about for three weeks right yes <laughs> <laughs> all right okay we'll see you next time okay thank you thanks bye